Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Hi, I'm so delighted to have Professor Jeannie Leap with us today, and she's a professor of theater and history of theater and teaches theater at the Edgewood College. Yep, in that's it. Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Jeannie. Hello. Hi, Margo. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you have written an incredible book, and you're such a scholar and a lady and an improviser, so we're going to get into all of that. Maybe we should talk about who we know first. First of all, we got connected through our mutual friend, Jay Suko. Jay Suko, he is the glue of this podcast. So I have been listening <laughs> to your podcast, and I've really enjoyed the Jay, the Jay connection that everybody said. I think I'm the only person you've had so far, correct me if I'm wrong. But I think I'm the only person who has gone to high school with Jay. So my right. is old school, OG. So yeah, yeah. Somehow we both wound up doing improv, going in different paths. But it's kind of a miracle because our school had no program whatsoever. And like the worst possible. I mean, at least we had a theater program, but it certainly wasn't known for that at all. So yeah. Well, in my high school, which was a private girls school with 19 girls in my class, we did the play The Mouse That Roared. Now, I understand you and Jay did a variation of that mouse that roared. Yeah. So we did a show for whatever reason. Uh, the person who directed the shows chose to do the sequel to the play that you mentioned, The Mouse on Mars. However, <laughs> our school had never done, nor had anyone any idea that there was a a, a more famous version before it. So they just ran, I don't know if they like got a bunch of plays at a garage sale and like picked one out of a box or the, the rights were free. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, uh, we, we had some amazing adventures. Uh, we were both in that one. I do not remember who we were. I think I was a Russian cosmonaut. I think I, I think that's who I was, but we were both in it. But we, you know, we were the theater nerd. We were part of the theater nerd crew of people who just didn't quite find our tribe in other areas right, right. and really enjoyed storytelling. We're in the arts group, you know, those kind of like artsy people who aren't sure where they right. where they connect exactly, kind of found each other there and and stuck with it in different, really different, di different ways. But then they braided back together in interesting ways, too. So it's really been really kind of cool. Now, did your journey at all coincide with Jay or was that at high school and then never to be seen again? You know, you know, this is the weird thing. So we both went to the same really private, Christian, super conservative, naive making high school, because I feel like we're both just, you know, you're sort of sheltered in a way that I don't think quite everyone understands 
or maybe they completely do because we're so sheltered. Maybe everybody understands. I don't know. Then you leave and you're like, wow, the world's not like this place, really. Jay went to, I think he went to the University of Illinois or he went, he went to a bigger school in Illinois and I ended up going to school in Michigan. And then I, I did most of my improv work in Michigan. He was more in the second city arm. He went that route in Chicago, but I ended up connecting with some of the folks who were uh, just when second city was getting started in Detroit, but that was eventually we did some other things well before that. So then you know, we're, we're off doing other things and it's a small little improv community, really. I mean, really eventually yeah. you, you meet people. It was a friend of ours. Jamie Moyer was posting something or Jay put yes, a picture Jamie up on, Moyer. yeah, Jay was, Jay put a picture up on Facebook of him and Jamie together. I'm like, oh, wow. my brain was like, <laughs> how do you guys know each other? But doy, of course there's, it's a small little improv world in some ways. And in some ways it's a gigantic quilt of people all over the world doing this stuff. So it's kind of fun when you connect in a different way. And we've both been doing it for a while. So, of course, we'd have yeah. some common connections. So, that's so you were a founding member of the River City Improv in Michigan, was it? Yeah. That's my home. Those are my homies. That's my home team. You know, Margo, what's so cool about that team? Okay, so this is how this started. We all were at Calvin College at in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and kind of coming from that same tradition that I had gone to school. It just kind of went along with it. And then got there and was like, I don't, I don't really fit in here. I don't fit in. And then found the people in the theater department who were also like, Yeah, I see the world through a different lens, maybe. And, you know, we did, it was the same kind of thing where you, but now you have a slightly bigger group of folks who find their tribe through this art form. Then I graduated and I went to the University of Michigan, got my master's and got, I came back to Grand Rapids because I got hired to do some directing and I really missed the improv stuff. And so did some of my other friends who were still in the area. And we started this improv group. You know, just like everybody does, you start an improv group and like your mom comes and you charge everyone a dollar or you pay them to come or whatever, you know, whatever. (laughs) And uh, and you do this stuff. But then it started to catch on. You know, it really people. It was that time in the 90s where it was kind of a fresh new form and people hadn't heard of it. And we loved it. You know, we, we started adding more members. We started getting a regular schedule together. And this is what makes me the happiest is that, you know, I did that for several years and still perform with that group when I can, because I love them dearly. There's been, you know, turnover. It's not been all the same people, but it's, there's a core group of folks who are just like old school friends and they're still going, you know, like think of all those little groups that start, they're like garage bands and then they fall apart when the drummer leaves, like, well, the drummer left. So this whole thing just, and I've been in a lot of those groups too, uh, since then that haven't, they were wonderful in their moment, but then they haven't continued on. But this one really has. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with the leadership of Rick Truer, uh, who's really taken the helm of that. And, um, you know, their mission has really been about, it's developed over the years. I don't think anyone would call it a mission when we first started out, but it was about bringing this kind of art form to the community we were in. It wasn't so much with an eye towards jumping off to somewhere else, but about being in the moment there. Though there are, there have been some people who jumped off of that. Mark Emma Jackson is probably the biggest, the biggest name that jumped off who started with that group and then is doing all kinds of cool stuff in Hollywood and 
whatever, but yeah, I mean, it's just been joy. So. Well, when I was reading about it, I could really relate because my first improv group was in in a abandoned bar that had like mice and you know yes. we had chairs and breakdown, and we were in this little, not a very populated mall, but a small little mall here in Florida, and we would actually go out and this is a free show, come in, you know, almost offer them drinks or whatever to get them in, and then you, there was something about a basement, poisonous gases, rehearsing in a basement and schlepping all this heavy equipment and doing everything oneself, which is kind of cool, I think. I think it's yeah. kind of like, let's put on a show at attitude. <laughs> well, that's how it started. And then it grew and grew and it got, you know, it started with that, like we're, we're I don't know, some of the places we performed a bizarro world but then you know it got more solidified and just about the time I was really really moving you know to that next level you know I was I also wanted to move to another level I had gotten my master's degree and was like I don't I I hate you school I'm done with you I don't want to go back there but then I was you know I got some jobs teaching and I was also working all these other jobs doing you know the things you do when you're young and like trying what? to like what well, I worked at the mall. I worked at, you know, I, I would direct little shows for kids. I would do any, you know, I, I taught a lot of like adjunct classes, speech and oral and terp and intro to the, whatever, whatever I could get. I was teaching at three different colleges at the time. Wow. And I was like, you know, one class, but you always kind of felt like you were seasonal help. You're like, well, you're, you got a semester, you got one semester, you got a class, but then we'll see. And I was like, you know what? I really like this. I like this work, but I don't want to always be the like, I don't know, the the seasonal help. I'd like to be able to like apply for a job and get this done. And I probably need a terminal degree to do that. <sighs> so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, sounds like, yes, yeah, like exactly what it sounds like. Like, but I'm like, but I do not want to have the same kind of experience that I had before, which was me just going to a school, not really understanding why, because I didn't know what to do next, which is not a good reason. If anyone's thinking about going to graduate school and they're like, I don't know what to do next. I'll go to it. Don't do that. Terrible plan. <laughs> but when I had a plan, it was a wonderful experience. I ended up going to Wayne State in Michigan. And the reason was because I was researching schools that would let you get a PhD in theater, but also had an emphasis in directing, which I love. I love that. And there's not a lot because usually a PhD is more like purely theater history, scholarly researchy stuff, but this yeah. is more applied research, yeah. which I is, is generally more MFA, Masters of Fine Arts, but this one was that degree, whatever. I wound up there and it was, it was transformative. It was a really wonderful time to be there. It was filled with exciting where well, you could, it was just an exciting time to be in Detroit. It wasn't quite, it was almost, it was getting ready to get better, but it wasn't quite there yet in terms of the Detroit, like we're getting there. Hey, we got a grocery store. Woo! like just <laughs> moving in that direction but I met some of the most tremendous people Margot just tremendous human beings who oh the the, the diversity of viewpoints and the the backgrounds of people who, where they came from and the the interest in the arts and then you know there's Second City just getting off the ground and I I wound up 
going in a direction of scholarship and improv because I had to write a dissertation. I was there, I was studying, I was doing directing plays and enjoying that and assistant directing from the classics to more contemporary things, more normal theater department kind of stuff. But the improv thing I found was kind of misunderstood by my professors who considered improv to be at best a, a tool that an actor could use, but really not worth studying. Not, I mean, it's just goofy new trend. Yeah, and Stanislavski used improv, correct? Yeah. Well, sure, Stanislavski used improv, but he didn't do an improv show. Like right. he used it as a tool to help actors prepare for the roles that they were going to do. And you might, someone might look at that scholarship and say, well, maybe that was a game or maybe that was an approach or a process, whatever. I'd say if you're playing a game with your actors where they're making up stuff, oh, sounds like improv to me. And, you know, then there's all those Spolin games that people were using as warm-ups and things like that. And the next step was just to perform improv. So the, the professors were like, for a tool for the actor to prepare, improv is fine. But as a performative element, not worth it, not worth your time. Not, it's, it's usually terrible. They just kind of poo-pooed it. Yeah. I was just going to ask you if, but you took my words. Did they kind of poo-poo it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mouth. <laughs> I think it, yeah, totally. And I don't think it was out of like, I think it was just they didn't know. Or they'd gone Ignorance. to like some terrible, right, right. Or you go to one improv show with people who just learned it two minutes ago. And it's, what do you know? They're still learning. So you would expect that same kind of experience if you went to the first scene and acting one class has ever done, it's probably going to be okay, but there's going to be things to work on. So I was like, okay, I clearly see a need here. I love this format. I love this. I love the performance element of it, but I don't think my college, my, my professors understand what this is. What is this? And I'm not hundred percent sure I do. So I wanted to really dig in and say, well, how how do we define this? And what, you know, there's these different forms, short form and long form, for example. Okay, well, there's got to be more to it than one is short and one is long. And of course, it is, there is a lot more to it. And they, but somehow they have these titles and everyone knows what we're talking about, the very different sensibility. And then you've got sketch-based improv, which winds up with kind of a script, but it's not written in the same way as a traditional play where a playwright goes off and does this work. But what are we talking about here? And then let's back up that train and think about where has improv been, you know, pre-Stanislavski? How do we, how do we as human beings tell stories? And are they always scripted? Are they always official theater? And I've got to say, no, absolutely not. I mean, we have scads of records of improvisation being woven throughout theater history, but because the the records are we don't have a script. They're a little, they're a little more hard to, you know, nail down exactly. They're a little more interpretive. We have evidence. We have things like masks and descriptions, uh, but you know, we don't tend to write the scripts down for, you know, somebody who's playing the alphabet game at a comedy sports show and nobody's transcribing that because that's not the art form. That's not what it is. And I, yeah, I, I found it to be really, really rewarding work. And also, I think that for people who are really deep in the improv world, 
check it out, but know that it's not written for people who fully understand improv exactly. It's for the people, it's, it's for, how do I explain this to someone who has, doesn't do this and doesn't think it's worthwhile? I kind of think maybe that ship has sailed actually though, because I think a lot of people now think it's worthwhile. Yes. Uh, so that's and, cool. Yes and no. When I tell people I teach improv, some of them, a lot of them will say, what's that? And then when I try to explain it, there's often that dazed and confused look on their face. But I think it's becoming more well-known. I mean, not everybody's even seen whose line is it, you know, so that's foreign to people or know of, or heard of Second City because the improv world is kind of small. But going back to when you were researching the book, first of all, you had been to a lot of different types of improv shows before then. You mentioned yeah. comedy sports and other th theaters or venues. Well, we had, you know, back when we were, when I was back in doing River City Improv, we had, you know, heard of this crazy new form called long form. So we're like, ooh, we're interested in this. Let's, let's figure it out. So we ended up taking a class, we booked some kind of class in Chicago, because not that far from Chicago. And I will never forget this. Miles Stroh taught us a class. Some, wow. some bar somewhere he was, eating, he was eating soup out of a take-up cup like the entire time i'm sure he has no memory of it i, I i'm confident where i am i would have no memory of this but we learned you know he helped us kind of unpack the you know really original old school herald and just kind of get our mind around what are some of the you know tenets of improv in terms of that format and then we came back, but that River City group was primarily a short form. We were doing our own. We weren't doing team competition style short form. We were just doing a short form performance. It wasn't even like whose line is it anyway, where the points don't matter. There just weren't any points. Right. We, you know, we would rotate who would introduce a game and play that MC host kind of thing, and and had a you know had a merry and wonderful time with that particular style. Then I moved to Detroit and get involved in that, you know, that improv community. And there's this this theater called Planet Ant that was started by some different improv people out there. And um, Margaret Ed Edwardowski was particularly instrumental in getting a long form improv group going. And I'm pretty sure Jamie Moyer was part of that as well. But there, there's just a ton of like people who were like doing that. Then Second City started, and there was a ton of folks over there doing stuff. I had some friends who were in River City who had moved to Detroit, and they were working at Second City. And I was like at a fork of the road. Like, do I really want to do, do I want to go the road, the route of like really doing improv and trying out for Second City? Or do I want to do this scholarly path? And I had, I had this like fork in the road where I, I did audition for Second City. And I got called back, but the callback day, so we went to the callbacks and then like, we can't decide we're going to do another callback. And it, was, it wasn't for their main stage. It was like for a special show they were put, I, it was just like, get your toe in the door kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't go to the second callback because I had already booked a gig with my River City people where we were, we had been asked to fly out to somewhere in Arkansas to do a show, which for oh. us was humongous. Yeah. Huge. yeah. Uh, and I was like, you know what, I, I'm, and I had, I had already been accepted at Wayne State. And I'm like, you know what, I think that's, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm just nerdy enough where I think uh, trying to unpack what is going on here and having the ability to direct and to teach 
really is what I do. But then I also love to play. I mean, really yeah. teaching is improv all the time because you might have a really nice lesson plan. Isn't that nice that you have this wonderful lesson plan? But guess what? Your students have questions and stuff goes on or something happens and you got to respond and, you know, yes, and whatever craziness is going on and then try to teach them something anyway. Sometimes people learn different things than what you thought they were going to learn in your class. And that's OK. Sometimes, you know, you know. Well, back then, did Second City have all those different levels you had to go through as well? You, you know, know, I talking to somebody who was at the Detroit, the Detroit thing would probably be better. But yeah, they had they had those levels. But the Detroit group was a little they were kind of perfect. It was so gloriously Detroit and then it was sort of scrappy. It was a, it was scrappier, like, well, we're just going to do, well, you know, this person is ready. We're gonna do it. it wasn't quite as stratified as the big Chicago mothership. So it was the satellite version. They did some awesome shows there, just absolutely awesome shows. And I was, I was at Wayne State when Mary Beth Monroe was a student there. And then she went on to go to the main stage and did amazing stuff there. Sherry Vanden Heuvel, I think, was on stage. And, of course, Keegan-Michael Key. Uh, did he write the introduction to your book? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. At the time, his then-wife, Cynthia, was teaching at Wayne State. And so there was a lot of crossover between the work he was doing, you know, as this performer there. And he just got his MFA at, where was he? He was at Pennsylvania and Penn State and so there was like you know I was like oh yeah cool Keegan will come and teach this class I mean he's actually a really good teacher uh I bet he is yeah yeah he came out here before he blew up you know like and uh, he came out here three different times to teach my students now Gosh. you know he's busy he's not gonna come back into a workshop with a bunch of 20 year olds I don't think but you know he's he's got that kind of that that gift of being able to explain stuff in a way that makes people want to get up and do it and try it and he yeah. just had a, he just had a book I listened to Audible the history of sketch comedy yeah yeah really good. and my sketch teacher was in Detroit Second City before going out to L A and he's really good friends with Jamie his name's um, Mark Wazowski. Yeah, yeah. He was on stage then, too. I saw him on oh, stage. Oh, yeah, you knew Mark. Though. I don't know that he would know me. I mean, really, Margo? I was the person who was, like, with a notebook at the bar, like, tell me about, what are your feelings about Sketchface? <laughs> what a weird, you know, like, just a weirdo, kind of the fly on the wall, learning about stuff and then trying to synthesize things. But yeah. I talked to a lot of people who were doing improv, who were friends of a friend, who were doing this form. And was a lot of it was original research, and then it turned into this book. So, yeah, it's been a really... It was original research, but also were there different books and things that you found that were helpful? Like, sure. trying to think of the name of the book, I always mispronounce it. Something Wonderful This Way. Yeah. Something Wonderful Right Away. Right Away. What I found at that time, and this has changed a little bit, but not a ton, that there were three basic categories of, of improv work. There were books that were like the how-to books or that you could call them almost recipe books. Like here's a bunch of games. Here's how you play them. Here's, here's a really good way of thinking about how to do this particular style or whatever it was. 
And there's some books, of course, that cross over into, here's how you do it this way. But the, another category is, I'm a guru, and I here's my methodology, the, the superstars. And some of those are fantastic, you know, Keith Johnstone, Napier stuff, like yes, yes. Sharon Halpern and Del Close's book. The some all of that stuff, those are great, and some of them, you know, truth and some recipes, right? Truth and comedy, and you've got other things that are like here's the history of our group, a little bit sort of woven together. Then you have a few pieces that are like the history of a particular company. The history of Second City tended to be the one that people were writing the most about because it's been this this pretty at that time the the path that a lot of superstars came from. So you had Janet Coleman's book, The Compass and Something Wonderful Right Away, which I've got, I'm sure, right over here. Jeffrey Sweet's book, got a little yeah. improv shelf down there. And then and then there were a few things that that were just emerging, like Amy Seahams, whose who's improv is it anyway? Yes, I love uh, Amy's at, work. Yeah. Looking at gender bias and, you know, the beginning of, you know, diversity issues within the improv scene and asking really solid questions. But even so. There wasn't any kind of book out there that was like bagging up the train to just an intro level. And it's super intro, Margo, super. Like, what is this? What is, what is this exactly? Sometimes that would be woven into a little bit into some of those books that were by heavy hitters, big names. It would be kind of in there. But no one was looking, triangulating some of those different approaches and those different ideas about improv and synthesizing them in any way and, and trying to do so in a way that could then you know spark a conversation about well how far back did this go i kind of got in trouble a little bit i got a little bit of pushback from my dissertation committee about considering the fact that perhaps thespis the mythy the almost mythological but we do have some you know evidence that this was a real person thespis who stepped out in the greek chorus and talk to the other people in the Greek theater, ancient Greek theater, that maybe, maybe that was improvised. Like there, there was one guy who stepped out of the chorus, Thespis, and he talked to the chorus and they had this conversation. Was it scripted? Was it improvised? We don't know. We have no idea. Could have been. I mean, it came out of this sort of religious festival. So who knows where that kind of spirit could have moved someone. But to even ask the question was like, oh, no, no lore has it you know there's this gobs of years of like this is what we believe it to be but i'm like well okay but maybe there's another way of looking another lens yeah, yeah. to see this yeah absolutely you know when you mentioned gurus a few minutes ago there was a book called if you meet the buddha on the road kill him and it was geared towards therapists a lot but that there's no one perfect solution or way the way to do it. And, and so right. when you said guru, I kind of cringe a little bit, but you didn't mention the Upright Citizen Brigade book, which I found to oh, be really yeah. helpful. I love that when I was starting out, they had fun exercises and a lot of games that I found mm -hmm. very helpful. Well, it didn't exist when I was starting my research. It's, it's right on the heels of that. I mean, I, I was doing this stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s and getting my research together. And then I it took me a while to shape this thing into a book because it really was, I was like, I'm going to write this dissertation. I'm done. I'm done with this stuff. I don't want to do this anymore. But there was a market for it. And I shopped it around at different theater 
festival, what are the, the uh, Association of Theater and Higher Education, AFA has a conference. So I was talking with different publishers there and Macmillan was interested. So were a couple others, but they, they passed and Macmillan went with it. And so I got it published, but I had to make it, a, I had to add to it. I had to add a little bit. So the last chapter is about uh, teaching improv and starting a team and just logistics. It's, the last chapter is like, some it's got some of the like recipes for some very basic warm-up games that you think everybody knows but do they i mean you think everybody knows zip zap zap but has anyone ever actually written down the instructions for things like that right, and that's right. a very that's like the most basic one that's like really is do we even need to spend ink on this but there's some others in there that are pretty you know well known that it's they're they're so well known it's hard to even know who started this you know there there's some I, games I, you know, okay, well, that's a Spolin game because she wrote it. It's right there. Or, well, that's, you know, but at some point they, there's a variation on different games. And when they become so variated, then you then they're their own thing, which is a whole other area of scholarship. And that's that's perhaps why it's tough to study this, because that is the nature of the work, is that it continues to evolve and grow and just metamorph itself into whatever format's coming next. And those divisions between short form, long form, and sketch based aren't really that neat a division. You know, there, there, there's always these gray, wonderful, misty areas between where these types of styles cross into each other. And when you start to ignore some of that scholarship, that's when the really creative stuff is happening, I think. So it's always cool to see what's coming and to play a little bit and to do that kind of stuff. Lately, my exciting stuff that I've been working on has been taking some of that scholarship about improv and theater and directing and all of that stuff that I do as a professor and thinking about intimacy training and doing it better in terms of how can we provide a place where everybody feels safe and respected and you know has clarified where their boundaries are as a not just in terms of like makeout scenes or anything, but even like I don't know who had a shoulder replacement and needs to know, no, please don't touch my shoulder, or <laughs> someone who's got an issue with people touching their hair. How can we make that not weird to have somebody clarify oh. that? Yeah. I said so, how? Yes. How? how? Well, <laughs> you know, I was working with theater intimacy education. There's a couple of different groups doing it, but being an educator, I'm more on that side of stuff. But talking about how you can give people, make normalize the idea of talking with a group before you start about where your personal boundaries are and in showing people on yourself where these things are. Then, okay, that's fine if you're doing a scene with one per. Okay, you're Romeo and you're Juliet, and you're, you know, okay, you're gonna have this makeout scene, and we need to know, okay, don't touch me here, and I'm okay with that, and whatever. But when you're working with a team and you don't even know 100% who's going to be in your scene because someone might jump in, how do you clarify who, how do you clarify this for ensemble work? How do you take some of these great new theories about improving the theater community and apply it to something that's a little more, you know, haphazard feeling at times or comes from the moment, but still works within boundaries that are safe for an entire group? which I mean, I, I love that kind of stuff. So I've been working with my, with my groups here on campus and ex, you know, experimenting with that. And I know Amy's into that too, Amy CM, and there's a lot of us doing that stuff, but theater intimacy 
education is is one of those great places to get training on that kind of stuff. Uh, and they do stuff online and uh, give a little shout out to them because that was a really great experience. Well, I think especially since the especially since the kind of me too in improv world, hashtag mm -hmm. me too, and sexism and all that kind of stuff. And then the pandemic, everything kind of started to evolve to a safer, higher plane. Now, you mentioned your classes. What are you teaching? I'd love to take a class with you, of course, but <laughs> it'd be a hard commute from Florida. <laughs> I would so love to have you in a class. I love taking <laughs> class from you, Margot. I, I just, I enjoy perpetually learning. And I guess that's why the intimacy stuff really, I really enjoy that. But currently I'm teaching, this particular semester, I'm teaching a theater history class, which I inherited the name of this class, which I really enjoy. It's called the development of the dramatic arts, which I, I'm like, if ever there was a Harry Potter ripoff of a class, this is it. But it's really, it's a theater history class. I'm teaching a acting one class, which is a joy. I cannot even tell you how much I enjoy teaching that class. I never get tired of it. I love seeing people discover something about themselves. And I'll tell you the way I approach acting one. Yeah, I use things that I use Uta Hagen and I use some, I've got good old Robert Cohen's book here right on my desk. And I use some of those basic things, but all interwoven with improv. It's all, I play games all the time with my students to say, Let's play a game called, you know, get away, where every time you have a line, you have to try to get away from this person. And every time you have a line, you have to try to go by them. And all of a sudden, they're using their entire bodies to tell a story where previously they were not. And they are seeing the power of the physical in storytelling. You know, improv can be so witty and fabulous and so verbal, but it also can be powerful when someone's just up there doing something physical that is responding to the moment and yes, you can yes. hardly recreate it. And you can almost, it's almost a struggle to explain it, but you know, the power of something amazing that happens, that's a physical response that just captures a sense of humor in that moment that trying to, trying to use those same tools that I've learned in improv and weaving them into the work that I do as an educator has been, that's what I do. Let's see. And what else? I'm teaching a class that is going to travel to Italy. I'm so excited about that. We're going to go in May. So that's a treat and kind of looking at the arts and culture. And that's can be a deep dive into some of that commedia dell'arte stuff. And I don't know, it's just woven into everything that I do. It's also, it, I mean, a lot of your guests have talked about this, that improv it just changes the way you see the world where you are using that applied, that applied stuff. And you've talked about that with your, your teaching and the group that you're, you're working with. And it's all of your website too. I mean, this applied improv where it, it, when you say yes to the reality you're in, instead of pretending that that reality isn't a thing, you have this disease, this, your house burned down, this, your car broke down, your, whatever it is, something happened, grief, something big happened. And now that you, you, you're at a place, you're like, okay, this is really what's in front of me. And now how do I build on that rather than trying to build on what was before it? That's over. We're in this place right, now. Right, right, right. You no, know, th this, is, this is the new, you know, the, the stuff that came before always influences, of course. But how do you accept what's here in front of you right now and build on that? Well, that's a philosophy of life. That's a way forward for everything. 
and it's been helpful. It's not always, I don't always like everything. I don't have to like the things that are in front of me. I don't have to like whatever problems come my way, but pretending they're not a thing or right, right. You know, it doesn't help you. It does it doesn't help. So getting to that place of like and a little sooner, you know, and is gonna get you to something better than just existing, you know, and then just or, or or living in a in a past that's not working anymore. Um so I, I wanted to go back a minute. Did you study in, in Moscow? I did. I did. That was, a, that. that was such a trip, man. I'm telling you, that was a, that was a game changer. So I had a, I was here. I've been here at Edgewood for a good long time. Honestly, I did not think I would be here this long. I thought I'd be here. I'd never heard of this place before I applied for a job here, but I was like, yeah, I'll probably be here for like, I don't know, three, five years. And I'll be out of here. Well, it's turned out to be a really good place to land. I really like Madison. I, I I like this liberal arts point of view. You know, not nowhere is perfect, but this has been a good a good place for me in a lot of ways. But gosh, it was 2008 that long ago already. Because I wouldn't go now. I'm not so sure this is the time to go. Yeah, Moscow, but uh, yeah. Tucker Carlson uh, can go, but not us. Right. I yeah. <laughs> uh, got a sabbatical, and what a treat! You know, what an amazing thing. And I was able to apply for a program that was being run by my professor, Jim Thomas, who was at Wayne State. And at that time, they didn't always have enough people to fill it. And I was like, I super duper want to do that. But it was a month in Moscow where you would go for the month of June. And, you know, a lot of people did this. A lot of people have done it. There was another school, the O'Neill Institute, I think, was taking students there. And the Moscow Art Theater was like, in some ways, I think they were monetizing, you know, their their name because they needed the funds or whatever, but they they had a lot of knowledge to share. So I went on this trip and Moscow was, it was, I was bananas. You know, as an American, I just kind of plunked down. I don't speak Russian. I don't, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm there with mostly students, you know, my luggage got lost. My luggage went on a separate trip to France for like, you know, <laughs> I was wearing weird shoes. So I got a blister that was crazy. And I ended up having to go through a a medical experience in Moscow that was like, okay, oh my gosh. Uh, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. But we saw so much stuff in Russian that was mind blowing. I don't know. I don't even know what they're saying, but I didn't need to. And what I learned probably the most from that experience was the power of the physical. I think a lot of times, and I see this in acting one, but I see it in improv too, where people are so concerned about what they say. Like it's all yeah, about the words. Yeah. It's you know what? No, it's your whole, your whole physicality tells the story. Everybody's looking, they're not just looking at your mouth. You know, they, everyone, if their eyes are open, they're seeing everything that you got. What story are you telling? What, what are you doing? How are you standing? What is your spine doing? You can tell, you can not change your blocking and sit really schlumpy, or you can sit all like super powerful you can stand there, but if you put your arms akimbo on your hips, you're going to have a very different pose and very different story than if you like cross your arms and try to take up as little space as possible. You know, take up all the space that you need to take up and be okay with it and then play with it and then play with it. Because what else can you do besides use your voice? You've got this whole other instrument that I think a lot of times we're so concerned with the, the the words you know and being, um, and being clever yeah 
And what a shock it was when I realized improv isn't really funny that much of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's about being real, using my experience. But we're talking about the body. Something that I love is silent scenes that last for a while and no words are needed at all at all because the body is saying everything we need to know all the information's there you know exactly and you know to that i didn't speak russian but i got along just fine because i could point and i could shrug my shoulders and i could you know get it done you can you can get it done if you're brave enough to use your whole physicality to communicate now i wasn't having amazing conversations about philosophical or political points of view, but I can find a bathroom, you know, like I can, I can get it. I can travel. That's important. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I can travel uh, and communicate with people in a, in sometimes, you know, a really beautiful way, not just looking for bathrooms, but you know, and, and about things exactly. that are meaningful using the physicality. And I can convey things to people we do this we convey things to people at meetings and our classes all the time just by you know not just our face but our whole our whole spine like you can tell when people are not into something when they kind of like they just everyone just kind of curves their spine a little and they're like i don't i don't want to do that and it's it's intuitive it's just something we instinctively know to do and that gets studied in an acting context, but it doesn't always get applied to improvisation. You know, it doesn't, and I think that's a whole nother way of thinking about how this field of improv continues to expand. How can it take some of this stuff from, from voice training and movement training and intimacy training? And it doesn't mean, intimacy training doesn't have to mean like every scene's a makeout scene. It could just mean it's okay to touch someone's hair or it's not okay to touch someone's hair, but we all know one way or the other what the situation is so that we can build a scene and someone's not going to be triggered by something happening that they weren't expecting. You know, how do we set each other up for success? Really? That's what it, that's what some of that stuff boils down to. And I think, you know, we mentioned a couple of times your tribe and finding my tribe, even though it was kind of later in my life has made all the difference in my world. And it, it was like, I always knew I was a little different. And there was somehow, some way, I didn't feel like I fit into a lot of different things, you know, a little, you know, social circles, cliques, or whatever. Yeah. Until I discovered improv and the language of improv and the wonderful people that love improv as well, such as yourself, Jeannie. You are so fabulous. And are you going to write another book? Or well, what you, I, you know, I've got a couple different projects. I've got chapters and books out there. A lot of them have to do with applied improv. I should have grabbed some of those books, but I can send them to you. I've been working on some stuff with some of those folks that I mentioned before. Amy Sam and Matt Fotis have a book that was edited by Hillary Bucks, who's another improv scholar out there. So projects like that tend to be more where I've been going because I'm, you know, my, I, I really love teaching and I love directing and I love that work. And, you know, if I can squeeze that stuff in, then I do. But my first, my first love is the doing, you know, and I, I, it seems almost hypocritical because I'm like, we need more scholars in this, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I did my bit. You guys step it up. So hopefully I can ins inspire some folks who uh, want to study 
how things have changed and how things have moved forward with this next the the next gen like this next version of what's going forward because there's always more there's always cool things going on right yeah right. yeah so yeah I'm 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 here at Edgewood College people can find me easy enough through that website I'm on social media too mostly Facebook but you know other things too I think I'm pretty easy to find you could find I, I find think me so. out there. I'm gonna I'm gonna put all the links to how one can get in touch with the genie. <laughs> In, in the text of the podcast and I'm so inspired by you and so gosh yeah what a wonderful thing you did it's tremendous oh okay. Marco I'm so inspired by you I mean people who are taking this stuff and doing classes and inspiring people who are like all right now what I've got I've got this annoying disease I guess that's my life now. Well, no, you, you, yes. And what else, you know, how about right. an improv class? Yeah, let's do that. And you know, that's actually that applied stuff. I feel like yeah. that's where the scholarship is for me. You know, like how is this helping the medical community? How is this helping? Well, we know there's tons of people doing stuff with different businesses. My, my pal from River City Improv, Mary Jane Pories, has a company that does improv work in, in Grand Rapids. And how do they, there's there's loads of people who are helping folks be able to apply some of these lessons to their jobs, you know, to, to yeah. saying yes to ideas, to yes. having a less toxic work environment. As right well as mental, mental health, improv for anxiety and depression and social phobias. I mean, there's so many uses just in my field and growing research because a lot of times when I'm approaching various companies or whatever about teaching there, you know, sometimes they really need that empirical proof. And yeah. thank God for the researchers, huh? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think a lot of us who are doing improv can be researchers with very little effort. It might just be, you know, making a little a journal entry, doing an, a podcast like this. This is scholarship, Margo. This is out there. People can reference it and listen to it down the line and, and draw conclusions from different interviews that you've done. It's glorious. It doesn't all have to be a foot, you know, scholarly tome. There's so much that we can right, learn from each right. other just by talking and using the tools that we've got right now that are like Zoom, glorious, whatever, we're, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. It's great. So I guess we're getting towards the end, but I've just loved talking to you. I don't think this is our first conversation. I'm hopefully we're going to have some more. And I, again, I really wish I could jump into one of your classes, but they're all in person. So... <laughs> So far, you know, we'll, we'll see what we could do in upcoming semesters. I love Madison. I have friends there. It's a great city. So come visit. Um, yeah, come visit. It'd be great. Uh, well, right now it's a little chilly. Mar I would say March is the worst month to come, but you know. Better um, warm up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. I, I am so honored to be on this list of amazingness. And I'm so happy that you included scholars in this. You know, I root for my friends and my peers who go on to great fame and fortune 
and I'm I'm so happy for them. But it's also nice to have conversations with some of us nerds out there who are like, let's let's talk about the nerdy history of things. Or it's not uh, nerdy. It's all beautiful. It's all beautiful. <laughs> I don't think it's nerdy at all. So well, I'm, cool. I'm denying your reality there. But all right, that's, that's okay. okay. That's it's okay. it's fine. <laughs> Yeah. I appreciate I'm it. sure you've been an inspiration to your students who've gone on and been touched by the the wisdom and the love that you've given them because I'm sure your students love being with you. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and I'll see you again sometime. Oh, Jean. thank you, Margo. What a treat. I really appreciate it. All good wishes to you and all your listeners. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.